is a good day. Listen, the Bible says that this is the day that the Lord has made and that we are to rejoice and be glad. I'm going to tell you why I share that with you. Because every day that God gives you is a good day. And today's a great day. There's something that God wants to speak to you. So are you ready? All right, let's say our confession together. Say, I have ears to hear. I have eyes to perceive. And I have a heart to understand and receive. The living word of God. Come on now. Now, if you believe that, go ahead and give God a praise. We are excited to be here with you. And for those of you that are allowing us to enter your homes online, we count it a privilege to give you the word of God. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been on a series entitled The Tipping Point. The Tipping Point. What we've been learning about is really the role of our minds. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but your mind is powerful. It's so powerful that God gave it to you so that you can align it and discover the life that God has for you. He'll always lead you to great results. He always is leading you to great results. The thing is, what we do with our minds can either propel us towards that or inhibit us from getting there. Let me show you what I mean from our foundational scripture on this series in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Starting at verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, tell somebody he's talking to you, Tell somebody else, he's talking to me. Now everybody, he's talking to us. I pray you believe that. He says, so therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. But you can't just stop there. See, for some people, that's where we stop. I just worship God. I just give up these things. I'm just... Trying to change myself for God, you can't do that in and of itself alone. Verse 2 tells us why. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see where change comes? You see how this all works out with God? Your mind is pivotal to it. And he says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I want you to consider some things that when your mind is aligned with God, let me tell you what I mean by that. When your mind is actively uh, attuned and learning, when you're pursuing, when you're adjusting your thoughts, when you're filtering what your life throws or what life throws at you through the truth that your mind is beginning to grasp and is seeping into your heart and is impacting your belief. When your mind is aligned with God, a couple of things happen. Number one, it leads to true transformation. The Bible calls it renewal. The Bible says that it leads you to God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. So something is happening in your thinking. It's called renovation. It's called renewal. When your mind is aligned with God, it leads you to a new way of life that results in God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Listen, that's your best life now. What God has for you. And that's where God is wanting you to get to. But you got to be doing something with this mind. And lastly, when your mind is aligned with God, it leads to a vibrant life of worship unto God and relationship with him. Let me put it to you this way. Let me simplify that statement. It's where you're truly growing with God and knowing God. It's not a complicated relationship. You're not struggling to, to, to touch the heart of God because you're already there. You're not struggling with your confidence in your approach to God because you know that he loves you and he's accepted you and that he paid the ultimate price. So listen, if this is what's possible for you and I, and it is according to scripture, 
How can it be possible that for some of us, we still aren't experiencing it and growing in it? If this is the heart of God, and it is, how come so many people are deviating from this? How is it possible that so many still aren't turning to God? How is it possible that some still aren't seeking that which is good and pleasing and perfect? And as such, we're seeking it in all the wrong places. And according to the scriptures, I want you to see that this, is, this applies to you who believe in Jesus and to you who don't. Let me tell you why. Because according to the scriptures, what we see is that if you're struggling... In this regard, it's because you're losing the daily battle that exists in your mind. Let me tell you what I'm talking about in a second. Today I'd like to talk to you about the battle for your mind. And according to Romans 12, 2, and we'll just put that up for you to look at. Don't take my word for it. Look at the scriptures. Don't trust what I say. Trust what the word says. Right? Don't look at me. Don't, my opinion doesn't matter here. But I want us to consider the scriptures here. According to Romans 12, 2, we see that there are two forces that exist in opposition that affect the course of your mind. And one, lead, one is the pull to conform. And the other is the pull for you to transform. The word conform there is an important word because it means to fall or to fit into the mold of a thing. So put it this way, in this bottle I have what? Water. See, you don't know that that's water. No, let me stop. It's water. Doesn't matter what it is. It's some sort of liquid, right? But my point is this. If I take this water out of this bottle and put it in a tall cup, what will happen to the water? It'll assume the mold, the shape of that which it's poured into. And the scripture tells us, don't fall to the mold. Don't conform. Don't try to fit yourself into something that you were never meant to be poured into. You can't conform, right? Conversely, the scripture tells us the other side of this pull. It's the call to transform. That word transform there means to become something entirely new. Listen to what God is saying. I have not created you to fit into the mold of anything, anyone, and any, any influence that tries to drive you and push you. I have called you to break out of the mold and live a life of transformation. Anybody ready for some change in this house? I pray that you're ready for change. What's interesting about that word transform there it's, is that it's the Greek word metamorpho, which is, it, it, it's the word from which we derive the English, uh, the English word metamorphosis, which if, if you don't know what that means, it just simply means the process that, of change. But a great example of it is butterflies. Now, you know what's interesting about a butterfly the process that the butterfly undergoes is complete. I'll tell you why. Because once it leaves the cocoon, it never returns to it. And listen, why else that's important? Because once it leaves the cocoon, it never returns back to its former form. So when the Holy Spirit 
imparted this into the heart of Paul to convey this to the early church and to us today. Here's what he's saying. I'm calling you to something new. Something that you don't have a need to turn back to the old. You can't go back there because you don't fit there. Thus, the scripture says you are a new creation. When the scripture says that the old is gone and the new is coming, you know what it's talking about when it says you're a new creation? Check it out for yourself. Don't take my word for it. It literally translates from the Greek. What it's saying is that you are an entirely new species of being. So I want us to see a quick short video as an example of this conforming versus transforming. Let's watch this. The ash experiment is one of psychology's oldest and most popular pieces of research. A volunteer is told that he's taking part in a visual perception test. What he doesn't know is that the other participants are actors and he's the only person taking part in the real test, which is actually about group conformity. Please begin. The experiment you will be taking part in today involves the perception of line length. Your task will be simply to look at the line here on the left and indicate which of the three lines on the right is equal to it in length. So, for example, if you the actors right. have been told to match the wrong lines. The volunteer will be monitored to see if he gives the correct answer or if he goes along with the opinion of the group and gives the wrong answer. In the first test, the correct answer is two. Uh, one. 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 Two. One. Once again, the correct answer is two. Three. 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 The ash experiment has been repeated many times, and the results have been uh, supported again and again. We will conform to the group. Again, we're very social creatures. We're very much aware of what the people around us think. Uh, we want to be liked. We don't want to be seen to rock the boat. So we will go along with the group. Even if we don't believe what people are saying, we'll still go along. One. 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 Group dynamics is one of the most powerful forces in human psychology. Uh, one. One. The Ash experiment is one. So I want you to consider something here. I want you to consider something. That's the mold of this world. That's the mold of this world. That's the nature of men apart from God. And you know, for, for us, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I can guarantee you that you're just like me. That sometimes you struggle with the pull to conform instead of transforming. And I, I, think about this. We can, what, what's liter, what we're literally seeing here is something so much more than peer pressure, right? Because I know that's where some of our minds went. This literally depicts something that is at the heart of all men. It's the desire for acceptance, significance, and meaning at all costs. At all costs. So why don't we try to fit a square peg into a round hole? Why are we trying to fall into the mold? Why, why, why do we wrestle with this conforming, this pull to conform? Listen, 
I'll tell you why. Like this young man in this, in this experiment, we fall for the fear of not fitting in. Now, study this on your own time, and I don't have time to get into this, but it's how the enemy deceived Adam and Eve in the beginning. Listen, they were already made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. They walked with the authority of God. And the enemy says, God knows that if you eat of this fruit of this tree, that you will be like him. What was, what was going on there? It was a fear that God was withholding something from them. And ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to renewal of the mind and the transformation that God has for you, this battle can only be won by how you confront the tactic that the enemy deploys into your life. He's fighting for this mind to conform to something that is not true. And the vehicle by which he does that is called fear. Listen, the enemy is an intimidator. He's a liar. And by these lies, he intimidates, he threatens, he accuses, he condemns, he attempts to corner you. And if you are absent of the truth, if you do not have a confidence in God, you will struggle. And thus, we must understand what lies in the middle, in the tension between conforming and transforming. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy. And this guy, Timothy, was greatly used by God. Bible historians believe that he led the largest church in his time. It's estimated between 10,000 and 30,000 people was the Ephesian church. But at some point, something began to go a little haywire. And listen to what Paul says to Timothy and us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God speaking to Timothy and us. It says, for this reason, I remind you. You know why that's an important word right there, remind? Because it tells you what's supposed to happen again in your mind. Listen. For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God. What gift? I'm glad you asked. Which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. He's talking about fear there. He says, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. That word self-discipline there means the ability to govern and rule your own mind. And so listen to what's happening here. God did not create you and I to conform to fear. He created you to break out of it and transform according to the power that he has exerted and he's placed within you. His love for you that gives you confidence to trust in him and turn to him always. And the soundness of mind that you have with the ability to govern the direction of your thoughts. That makes sense? It's the reason why Paul told Timothy, and he tells us, stir up the ember is what he's saying. The fire within you. Listen, how do you do that? By the renewing of your mind. 
you got to make a decision that I want everything that God has declared and he's given, the good work he started in you, he shall complete until the very day of Jesus Christ. Don't give up. See, transformation power is yours, but fear is an inhibitor to arriving to the place of all that is good, perfect, and pleasing according to God's will. Listen, stop pursuing your own will. Stop pursuing the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God, and you'll discover a life that you never knew was possible. You will see greater things. And so in Exodus 14, Moses and the people of Israel had to confront their greatest fear as they came face to face with the Red Sea that was before them and the armies of Egypt that were close behind them. Let's see what we can learn about winning this battle for the transformation of our mind, of our lives through our mind. Exodus 14, starting at verse 1, says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Haharoth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite of Baal Zephon. I want you to notice something, that God told them to turn back. In other words, he's saying you're going in the wrong direction. Make sure you think about that, you remember that. Verse 3, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land of confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the people of Israel were going in a direction, and God says, listen, I want you to go this way because I have a plan. Right? I have a plan. And part of this plan means bringing to complete obliteration your enemies. Let's see how. And so he goes on to say, it goes on to say in verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. And so he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. Look how they walked out of Egypt with boldness, right? The Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped, they camped by the sea near Pi Haharoth, opposite of Baal Zephon. And Pharaoh approached, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. Notice that something changed. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? In other words, let us continue to be slaves? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance uh, the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Somebody needs to hear that. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. 
raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let us get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and the chariots and horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Now one of them survived. So I want you to consider something. Moses and the people were pinned between what could be and what was. God told them, I'm going to take you from this place of slavery and I'm going to take you to a land of promise. I'm going to remain faithful to what I declared over you from the beginning when I chose you through Abraham. You will be a blessing, and you will be blessed wherever you go. You will, you will walk into a land where you did not plant vineyards. You will inherit cities that you did not build. I'm taking you there. And so these people were pinned at this very moment between what was on the other side of the Red Sea and the enemy that was hot on their heels. And so here's the thing. In between these two lay the battle with fear that only they could fight. Now, listen closely where I'm taking you with this. It was a battle that had to be won. Now, the result of this battle would determine if they would conform to the old, Egypt, or, and remain slaves for the rest of their lives, or if they would transform and experience a new and better way of life with God that was on the other side. And this battle, this battle, to win it, they had to face their fears to overcome. They had to face those. They had to press forward, press through those. And so for the next couple of moments that I have here, I want to give you just three simple things, three practical things to consider from the Word of God about winning the battle in your mind. Is that all right? Yes, Tell somebody I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, you said it. Here we go. So 
the first thing that I want to share with you is that the only thing to fear is fear itself. The only thing to fear is fear itself. Let, let me tell you what I mean by that. Their fear of Egypt was so great that it literally overrode what they should have really been afraid of. Listen, on the other side of the Red Sea was the opportunity to see their enemies, their enemies destroyed forever. On the other side of the Red Sea was the opportunity for a new and better beginning. On the other side of the Red Sea was a life with God that promised them a journey that would be defined by God's goodness and blessing. Their enemies would not be able to rule or reign over them. He promised them that wherever they went, they would conquer. See, these people should have been afraid of losing out what was in store ahead of them on the other side of the Red Sea. But instead, what we see is they were afraid of leaving what was behind them. See, fear is an indicator that your faith is headed in the wrong direction. I'm going to say that again. Fear is an indicator that your faith is headed in the wrong direction. I love the way David puts it. I believe it's Psalm 27, verse 1, somewhere around there. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? And so get this. So when fear comes knocking, you shouldn't be afraid of what it's saying to you. What you should be afraid of is what it's trying to keep you from. Think about this. We fear what the lies of the enemy propagate in our lives as we allow them into our heart and into our thinking. And at that moment when fear rises, what you should be afraid of is this. Wait, 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 wait. There's something greater that God's doing here. And at this point, I'm beginning to fall into the mold of a lie. What you should be afraid of is missing out what God has for you. Thus, the point is simple. The only thing to fear is fear itself. Don't fall for the lie. Listen to Isaiah 35 verse 4. It says, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. So listen to the promise. When you're anxious, don't be afraid. Why? Because your God will come with vengeance. In other words, he will come on your behalf. He's at work on your behalf. And what he's giving you is a recompense. In other words, he's rewarding you. He's bringing good things into your life. He will come and save you. So why is this important? Because their fear was robbing them from seeing what God had already said he would be faithful to. Don't let your fear rob you of what God has for you. Listen, in Exodus 14, 4, I think they're going to put it up on the screen. I want you to just see it for yourself. I'm not going to read it. God guaranteed that he would show himself strong on their behalf. They were about to miss out on their victory. You know why? Because they, allowed, they were allowing their minds to buy into the lie 
that it was better to be in Egypt. It was better to be bound. It was better to go back to the cocoon and try to be something that you are not. Can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? For some of us, we identify as a butterfly. Guys, I'm not being cheesy or fluffy. All right. You're a butterfly, right? Listen, get this. For some of us, we believe that we are a new creation. And for some of us as believers, we believe that we're still stuck in the past. Here's the deception of the enemy. You are a new creation. But your mindset is still stuck in the cocoon. You're not there. Here you are saying, God, oh God, I'm, I, I, this, is, this is what I feel and this is and my past and this is how I was raised. And God's saying, but you're a new creation. All things have passed away. All things are become new. From this point forward, believer, you are growing in understanding who you really are. The second thing I want to share with you is this, is that fear leads you to fight the wrong battle. Fear leads you to fight the wrong battle. Now, you got you to track with me on this. At this juncture of the story, Israel has, been, has seen God inflict amazing, miraculous plagues against Egypt. Nine of them up until this point. Actually, ten at this point. But they've seen God move mightily in their hand. And they're about to step into the temple where God does away with, with the Egyptians. And throughout all these plagues that were inflicted on the land of Egypt, the people of Israel were untouched. And so they knew God was powerful. And yet, as they're leaving Egypt, here's what we see. We see them fighting and complaining to go back instead of fighting to get to the other side. Now, in response to their fears, Moses wisely puts this battle in its proper perspective. In Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14, he says, Don't be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Now watch this. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So, it's obvious that God wasn't saying through Moses to the people, just stand here and don't take any steps. That's not what he's saying when he's saying, stay still, stand still. See, your fight is to face your fears by standing firm and remaining still in the place of your confidence in God. So let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me just attempt to break that down for you. God says, I have given you this land. I have given you this opportunity. I have called you to this place in life, to this, for this purpose in life. Right? So God says that. You believe it. Right? And so being still is the place of standing firm. In other words, listen, when I decide this is where I'm standing and I'm not moving from here, the lie may come, opposition may come, challenges may present themselves, 
that I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to be still. And what God has said, I am not going to move. And so listen. Listen to this. Your fight is to face your fears by standing firm and remaining still in the place of confidence in God. And God's fight is to fight your battles. Why are you trying to fight a battle that's God's? And here's the thing. Here's the beauty of it. The battle's already won. You don't believe me? Listen to the words of Jesus. John 16, 33. He says, I have said these things to you. See, now for some of you, you're envisioning him talking to a disciple. You're envisioning him talking to somebody else. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I have said these things to you. To you. Yes, you. Moi. You. Yes, you. That in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulations. Watch this. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Listen. Jesus has overcome every reason for fear in the, face of in the face of trials. But you have to take your heart and keep it there in that place of promise where you will stand and stand and stand and continue to stand. The last thing I want to leave you with here as we come to a close is this. That if you don't face your fears you will not discover the power of your faith in God I'm going to say that again if you don't face your fears you will not discover the power of your faith listen closely there is no denying that these people were facing an impossible situation. The Red Sea was there. Their enemies were on their heels. Now maybe you haven't been pinned between the Red Sea and some literal enemies trying to kill you behind you, but I can guarantee you that we've all been in a place where we've felt stuck. Where we've questioned what is happening. Where we've even gone to the extent where we've said, God, where are you? And the thing is this, I want to encourage you with this, that in the midst of that place, let this, let this Bible history that we have recorded remind you that God has never left you. That God is for you. And if he said you're going to the other side, you're going. You're going. And so listen, the Red Sea was ahead of them as a barrier and their enemies were hot on their trails behind them and their only way out was forward why is that important because your only way out is forward the only the only direction that god will take you is forward Listen, Jesus dealt with your past. As a matter of fact, 
Jesus didn't just deal with your past. The scripture says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the scripture declares that what he did, he did once and for all, forever. It's done. So Jesus went to your past. He's dealing in your present. And he's prepared a great future ahead of you. There's great things in store for you. But you got to understand something. God only operates in one direction and it's forward. And this is where they went wrong. They saw backwards as an option. See, unless you undertake more than you can possibly do, you'll never do all that God says you can. I'm going to say that again. Unless you undertake more than you can possibly do, you'll never do all that God says you can. So let me give you an idea of what we're talking about here. God is not calling you to do something you can do. God invites you and me to do something that he can do. Listen, some, listen to this. When God calls you to move forward, it will always seem impossible always it will always give the appearance of impossibility listen if you can fit it in your brain I guarantee you that you would do what I do I got this I got this easy peasy and you will under the guise of, well, God said it, so, and I can do it, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. You will take the reins, and I guarantee you, like me, you will mess it up. Listen to Exodus 14, 15, and 16. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? That tells us something. Moses was stuck in the place of impossibility. Now, this is the man of God. Guess what, Moses? That's you too. Because you're chosen of God. She so says, why are you crying to me? Why are you complaining? Why are you there? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, watch this, and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Listen, up until this point, freedom and a new beginning was not a rational option because they were trapped. But then God defies all reason by saying to Moses, Stop your crying. Stop your complaining and move on. The question is, move on to what? We got the Red Sea before us. There's sharks in there. There's whales in there. There's all type of animals in there. God, what are you talking about? Move forward. <laughs> Listen, God says, move on. But you see, to discover what's on the other side of that Red Sea. And to get there, we see that Moses had to take the situation before them. 
by what God was calling him to. He says, stretch your hand. Let's stand here today. I want you to do something with me as we're closing. I want you to do something with me. I want you to stretch your hands for a moment. Stretch. Stretch. Now, I want you to see something that when you stretch, your reach is increased. When you stretch, there's somewhere that you weren't touching that you can touch. Somebody needs to hear this. Faith in God is a stretch. It compels you to go beyond rational thought and move past what your circumstances show you. But when you do it, you'll discover why it's worth it. For Moses and the people of Israel, when he stretched beyond the natural, it opened a supernatural door that parted the Red Sea. And it destroyed their enemies. Listen, you've been crying out to God, and God today is responding to you. Stretch your faith. Go somewhere beyond your rational understanding with me. Trust me. I believe that there's some parting of Red Seas about to take place in your life. I believe that you're about to walk into some dry ground. That you're about to see some enemies fall in your life. That you're about to see the freedom that's yours in Christ to a greater measure. Believe God today. Stretch your hand forth and see the deliverance of God. You know what I love about this biblical account of what happened with the people of Israel and Moses? That while God was the one fighting the battle for them, when it came to removing the barrier, he says, you stretch your hand over the Red Sea and part it. You have authority. You have authority. Face your fears. Because God is with you. Oh, man. Father, today we come to you in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. Mm. Mm. Go ahead and worship your God. Go ahead and begin to stretch your hands. Stretch your faith. Stretch your vision. Stretch, 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 because that's where God works in the stretch. I can't put words to what God is doing in your life right now. I'm not going to attempt to do that. Whoa. Wow, man. There's a shift in your lives happening. There's there's some greater things taking place. Father, we just simply say thank you. Father, we believe. We take hold. We stretch forth our hands, oh God. And we expect the goodness of God. We're looking forward to the breakthroughs, Father. We receive it. We take hold of it. We take heart. We stand firm, Lord, and we thank you for all that you've done right here, right now. 
Now listen, there's somebody here. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're joining us online. And, and, and you've been living in this place of limitation. And today, this message has stretched your understanding. I just want you to know, if that's where you are right now, you are literally in smack in the middle of a move of God. You're having an encounter with God and what you're experiencing is the call of God that's pulling you out of the cocoon into your next step. Your best life. If you believe that, then today here's what you need to know, that God loved you and I so much. The scripture says that while we were still yet sinners, what does that mean? While we were doing our own thing and we wanted nothing to do with God, it says that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why is that important? Because the scripture says that the wage of sin, the payment that's necessary for sin, is death. Here's the thing. You can't pay it and neither can I. You know why? Because our bank account is not long enough. You can't pay it. God demands a holy, perfect sacrifice. And so watch what God does. He says, man, they can't do it, but I can. And so thus the scripture says that he came in the form of a man because he loved the whole world. And he died that we would all be able to inherit eternal life. So here's what that means. The payment for sin is not something you owe God. What you have to accept is the benefit of that wage that was paid for you. What does that mean? That you're accepted by God. That you're loved by God. That your healing is yours. That, that there's a good life in store. That there are new things ahead of you. And if you believe that, pray this with us as we close. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died and you rose again because you love me. You paid the price for me. And so today I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I call you my God. And from this day forward, I'm stretching my faith and stepping into my best life now. Come on now, if you believe that, we're celebrating the goodness of God at work in the lives of people all throughout this building, online and everywhere this message is going. Now, Father, we thank you for all you've done in Jesus Christ and your word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. We will see you again next Sunday. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us and I can't wait to connect with you next week.